want to congratulate my friend, Ben Ennis. Uh, good hour, pal. You know, some days, some days I make fun of you, right? And we start the show very teasy. That is a big every part day. of a relationship. Not every day. Let's not say I every mean, day. Ninety-nine percent of days. No, that's not true. That's not true. 97. Although. I would say that normally when we answer the phone to one another, it is always with an insult. Like, yeah. We, I, that is, no, that, that's true. That, yeah. It doesn't matter. The phone call always starts that way, which maybe it, reflecting on that a little bit isn't the best. You know? Maybe it's not I'm the best. It. Maybe it does set things up to make things contentious when you start a conversation every time with a person. It has to be uh, a more aggressive insult towards the other person who can out-aggressively insult the other person. Either way, congratulations to Ben Ennis because when, when we used to do good show together, mm. we would have discussions, right, about the content of the show and how we were going to plan stuff out and what we are going to do. I know a lot of people think that they can do what we do because it's just us turning on the microphones and yapping away, right? That it's no planning, no, uh, no, no ideas behind it, just two loudmouth idiots that share their opinions. Partial, partial truth, not, not full. But we would have conversations about the content of the show, and I would generally push back to added baseball content, like added baseball stories. And I would go, baseball is kind of going the way of the dodo here. If we're doing Blue Jays... Great, let's do Blue Jays. But nobody cares about Mike Trout was always my position on everything. Nobody cares about Mike Trout. Nobody cares about baseball. We have to limit the amount of baseball. You would always come with these pitches, these stories about baseball. And lo and behold, the sport of the future, we would do these segments like, hey, do you know the average age of a baseball fan is what? Do you remember that number? Yeah. No, I, I, the, it's it? not the average age of a baseball fan. It's worse yeah. than that. The average age of a of a baseball viewer on television yeah. is 57 yeah. years old. <laughs> yeah. And that was that was a few years ago, that stat. So those guys and what? gals yeah. are now probably 59, 60, <laughs> 61. That's the average age. The sport of the future is baseball because basketball players don't want to play any games. They go, no, we don't want to play no. in the sport. We don't, we don't want to do it at all. They want to fight with the referees. No, they want to yeah, exactly. Games. They're, they're, exactly. That's it. Luka Doncic is like, you know what? Screw this. Uh, us versus the refs. That's the true opponent. <laughs> and we'll be resting a lot of these games. Hockey players, a, a sport that was built around grit, determination, will versus skill. They're like, all we want to do is play shinny. And then... Maybe in the playoffs we'll care, but it'll be kind of random. But that's it. That's all we want to do. Yeah. NFL, 17 games. Not enough. Major League Baseball, 162 <laughs> plus, plus, plus the World Baseball Classic. Okay, for real, though, baseball is having a serious moment here. Where no question. Did you see the, the social post? I got it right here, actually. It was 3.8 million impressions for the World Baseball Classic. In terms of they're just tweet congratulating Japan. You know how many uh, the likes the World Series got for the Astros winning? And I know it's a regional team versus a country, oh, yeah. so it makes sense. But it was 8,000. 8,000 yeah. to 158,000 likes for the World Baseball Classic. The, the gif of Trout versus Otani in the ninth yep. sent out by Fox Sports was the most retweeted tweet in Fox Sports history. Yep, 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 yep. You combine this with... The excitement for the pitch clock speeding up baseball games. Mm -hmm. The mandate by baseball to try and get more balls in play, to have more mm -hmm. stolen bases, to shorten these games. 
I, I, I'm not a, you and I've debated before the idea of having more playoff teams and how it changes baseball. But I also think now having a, a couple more, they have struck a decent balance in terms of finding out getting an extra team in there is good and having more teams engaged is fine. And it, I don't think it's diluted the product in any kind of way. Baseball is really having a moment here, man. Yeah, no, Theo Epstein is is he's doing it, and I, I guess oh, we can't give him credit wow, for the World is, Baseball Classic. I was going to say I, one of my topics is how much credit are we giving Rob Manfred, and you nah, immediately I mean, just slashed out his knees. I mean, Manfred put Theo in place, right? Like he knows Theo is is the guy. He this knows he's the golden child that okay. everything he touched turns into the greatest thing ever, and is already headed to the Hall of Fame like twice. Mm-hmm. Like he has two Hall of Fame executive careers, and now he's going to have a third as he revives baseball. But Manfred. You know, you you do get credit for putting the guy in place. And I guess, I don't know, Theo uh, can't get credit for the World Baseball Classic, although I'm sure, like, you go back to the the original forming of it. You can't just give Theo credit for this without any actual information. I know you love Theo. But I mean, wouldn't you believe that it's all Theo? Yeah. <sighs> the man who brought World Series titles to both the Boston Red Sox and Chicago Cubs, who was tasked with reviving baseball, and we're having discussions about baseball having moments that are the most retweeted moments in social yeah, media yeah. history. It's hard not to look at the guy who's done the thing twice already. But and do you have actually any evidence of his impact on the well, World I, Baseball as far Classic? As, no, not okay, on the World you. Baseball Classic, but as far as the rules, yeah, that's all him. Like, that is, like, he he came up with which rules that we're going to go with this year. He studied him in the minor leagues. Like, that. that is, he is the mm-hmm. head of the spirit when it comes to that. No, baseball is back, buddy. Yeah, it is. It's, it's, it's my time to shine. It's unbelievable. Yeah. You got... You know, Connor McDavid talking about how great the World Baseball Classic. I, I, you know, I, I was a little nervous how much we did World Baseball Classic content on my show because I'm like, am I just in my silo here? You like, am I, am I extrapolating what I actually believe about this tournament and how yes. great it's been because I'm the only guy watching it? You were. No, it turns out everybody no, was watching you were, it. You were until the end. That's the thing. I, I, I actually mentioned to you, and I talked about it on the show, Blair had on David Sampson the day before the final, and he asked the question, is the juice worth the squeeze for this tournament? And Samson said, no, but we're close. And it was literally the next day where it was, yep, and this is why you do it. And you don't, I I think that this is pretty much the case with all sports and the way that they're going. You're never going to have a baseball tournament or a hockey tournament where we're watching Venezuela versus Mexico en masse, right? That is always going to be the, unless you are Mexican or Venezuelan, right? Mm -hmm. Those countries are going to watch, but Canadians aren't going to watch that stuff. I didn't even watch the... USA game where Trey Turner hit the the walk off. Like I, I actually, mean, do we or, even do that? Like back in the day when you know NHLers were at the Olympics, did we do I a think ton we of did watching a little... of of game? But I mean, it wasn't. It was like one tenth of the viewership of obviously. Yes, that's even yes. probably overestimating. It's, yes, it was very limited compared to the Canada games. Definitely, I, I guess where I look at it a bit differently in terms of baseball and hockey versus other sports is that in the NFL, I'll watch games that are not involved with my favorite team. And I'll right. go across the sport and watch any game. Like you can put that's why Thursday night football works. They can be like Jaguars, Titans, and I'm like, I'm there. Thursday night. See you then. Yeah. And I gro- I gripe about it, but I still watch it. Basketball is a similar thing in that if you do get the stars, even last night, the Warriors are one of the worst road teams. The Mavericks have Luca that just gets in the lineup, and I end up watching a chunk of it because I go, Yeah, this interests me. Those other sports well, the I West think is also insane. Yeah, I think that they they still don't translate the same way in terms of you wanting to watch just about anything about it. Whereas like with the Olympics and basketball, I would watch Australia play the United States. Whereas I 
wouldn't watch Australia play the United States in any other sport. Soccer, you would do it, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I'm, I'm going off track here. My point is, is that world, the World Baseball Classic definitely completely broke through, and the, the juice was worth it. The, it justified the squeeze. It was amazing. It's one of... I saw actually our boy Mad Dog trying to crap on it, which was unfortunate. That was a really I, the, unfortunate zag by I him. I mean, it was. I was fine with that because clearly that guy. Okay, maybe there's like a little kernel of truth to what he was saying. He's playing a role. That's his job. Like he's yeah. an old school radio person, and the the idea that people are gonna. I mean, he got exactly what he wanted. I, think, I find that to be a little cringy, though, now, is when sure. you have to manufacture yeah. the take where you don't really feel it. If you have a hot take and you really believe a part of it in your soul and you want to play it up yeah. a bit, that's great. But, no, that was a genuinely awesome moment. It was no, Mike Trout I, versus Shohei Otani. It was Blake amazing. Blake and I, we started the show yesterday talking about, like, our favorite baseball moments over the last 20 years that didn't include the Blue Jays. Because, the Blue, like, local team That's winning a, a couple of topic. championships in the early 90s or, like, 15-16 kind of supersedes everything. <laughs> but I would put the – that – I mean, the whole game was intense start to finish. But, like, that ninth inning moment up there with just about anything we've seen, whether it was 2011, that great World Series between – the Cardinals and the Rangers and Nelson Cruz being one catch away from winning the Rangers, their first World Series title. Like, 4 Red Sox winning the title. Game 7 for the Chicago Cubs and the rain delay. Like, there, it, that moment, it, it doesn't stick out. Like, if you throw that in there, top 10 moments of the last 10 years of baseball, I think it, it rightly belongs in there. The two best players, unquestionably, in the sport... And the guy who's unquestionably better than the other guy, bettering him in the most important moment of the of the of the ultimate game yeah. of this World Baseball Classic. So I don't think Mike Trout's the second best player in the sport anymore. Um, he didn't even OPS a thousand last year, and he's thirty-two years old. Loser. Well, no, it's not that he's a loser. It's just that there's he's he was the eighth runner-up for MVP. I, I just don't think that he's number. Okay, well, you, you're saying in like one season. I still think yeah. he's the second best player in the sport. Yeah, like I don't an overall set. Like I don't think he's he hasn't tailed. He's not in the back end of his career to a degree that you, well, I would say that he's not the second best. He's the second best player he, in the sport. He doesn't he doesn't play a hundred games anymore. Um, that's basically his mo. Uh, he's had three he straight still seasons, hit forty-five home runs or whatever yeah. last year. Dude, he's an awesome player, but he missed a significant <laughs> time now for three straight straight seasons, and okay. he's not the best he's, player on his team. My point is with Mike no Trout question. is I'm just I simply won't accept that he is just any. I, I'm not doing this anymore. Where I go, oh yeah, Mike Trout is the best player in baseball, or Mike Trout's the second best player in baseball. I just think that there are a lot of guys that are on his level. When you OPS less than a thousand, and granted, I think he OPS like nine ninety nine. Yeah. He's right there. Um, in this sport now, I think there are other guys who have surpassed him who are, yeah, just just as good as he is or at least arguably as good as he is. And actually, this is one of the things that I love about this and I wanted to bring up is part of the reason why I think baseball really struggled is that the show was with, or sorry, the, the game was without debate. It was something that I talked a lot about with you where you can't debate who's better players because some dork like you would come over the top ropes and go, actually, no, he is because the war. And you're like, okay, I don't even want to have this conversation then. Then what's even the point? This is so not fun having everyone try to break every single molecule of the sport down by the number. And now all of a sudden with this pitch clock, you've really introduced a human element. That's the thing about it that I really love is I listened to Kevin Gossman on Blair and Barker yesterday talking about how he spent so much of his career, three years of his career, trying to slow the game down, right? That was a huge part of him becoming a major leaguer. And now all these guys are basically thrown into the fire 
with these new rules. And that's the hitters included, the way that they have to approach these guys and the way that they have to handle themselves in the box. They just, it, it throws in this thing that you cannot truly quantify, which is that mental part of the game has completely shifted and it will for this year. I'm extremely excited about it. I'm not a fan of parody, but I do look around baseball right now and go, okay, Rays, Yankees, Blue Jays, Guardians. Do you want to put the White Sox in that conversation in terms of a team that could make the playoffs right now or no? You want to... Okay, no. Uh, so I'll say no. no. I mean, Twins, the, the, yes. The whole Central is is a mess. Yeah, them. I know. But, okay, but it's kind of a mess. But I think that all those teams are kind of stock up this year, except for the Royals, in terms of it wouldn't shock me if any of those teams ended up actually making a push for a wild card. And then you've got Mariners, Rangers, Angels, and Astros, who are all semi-relevant, at least to start this season. There's a lot of baseball teams that are in the mix. There are some... Players that are becoming, I don't want to say stars in the sense of they're going to captivate a local or a non-local audience, but I do think that there is a lot of talent in baseball right now, and a lot of big market teams have big-time names. Even here, like you look at it, and Toronto is blessed with baseball stars right now. You've got multiple people that you can throw up on a poster and say, yeah, this is someone that everybody in the city knows who they are. That's something. You add the fact that these games are going to shorten up, that they could end up becoming more intense with a tighter field. It, it really does feel like to me that the sport can actually see growth and meaningful change and that it's going to be able to captivate a different audience. I think the part of it they've got to sort of figure out is can they translate into more social media moments? Because that was what was so important about the World Baseball Classic well, to me is that gift ability of that. From an odds perspective, they have better odds of creating social media moments because to me, like... So much of, I mean, I, I could have anticipated the games being shorter. The Blue Jays played a two-hour and ten-minute spring training game yesterday. Like, yeah. that was obvious. Like, you were going to lop off about 20 to 30 minutes off of these games no matter what. Like, that was going to happen. I was way more dubious about the shift stuff because mm-hmm. everything I'd read about about its impact in the minor leagues was that it was it was pretty negligible and that, that you know, you could still position your infielders while there was only two on each side. Like, you position them in places close enough to the outfield that it was still, like... You, you, those those left-handed sluggers that were swing and miss that would pull the ball on the right side, the, the, really, the benefits they got was pretty minimal. Except, we've seen it be pretty significant in in spring training baseball. And there's nothing... I, I've also read some stuff about how individual spring training stats cannot be extrapolated to the regular season. Like, it, it does not indicate anything. Sorry, those of you who think, like, Yusei Kikuchi is now, like, a viable starting pitcher for the Blue Jays. Uh, I bought yeah, Yusei stock, actually, at its very lowest, so I'm hoping that he will be. It, well, I guess if you bought it, like, as a penny stock, I like, did. oh, so you lose a penny. So, yeah. Okay. Well, actually, <laughs> the joke I made on the show when I bought the stock was, I'm buying it now in spring because it's gone up, and the, the first regular season game, people are going to turn to me and be like, boy, it was nice that you had that stop, but really I'll have, I'll have sold it all, right? <laughs> he stepped, yeah, right no, right as smart. he steps to the mound, that's because where I'm going to dump it. I don't know if it. you noticed, like, the walks have started to trend up. Like, uh, he's not letting the walk spiral out of control, but he's like, yeah, walking three over three or four. I got, I got more on this later. But, um, yeah, so you can't put any stock in individual performances in spring training, but in an overall, when you look at the BABIP, so batting average on balls in play, the, the, the times that a ball that is hit off the bat on the ground, mm-hmm. turns into a base hit, that you can extrapolate to the regular season. And the uptick that we've seen in spring training has been astronomical, like mm. especially for right-handed hitters, which was shocking to me. I thought this would be, it's like the Joey Gallows of the world. Great, right, when the Jays it. get all the lefties. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Although, 
that's right. <laughs> Design their whole strategy around it. They're going to be a year late. But anyway. no, I, I mean, I think of a guy like Vlad who uh, missed their ground ball. Like those worm burners, maybe, yeah. uh, <laughs> maybe not turning into double. I don't want to think about those right now as I'm trying to hype up the excitement of baseball as the least exciting thing that is in my life, which is him hitting into double plays or him hitting those worm burners. But anyway, and but people I, going, I, I look would, at the I exit would, velocity though. Of, <laughs> they're hitting them so those hard. Those worms are like disintegrating. Yeah. Like they have yeah. no chance. Like at least it's a quick death for those those worms. Yeah. But yeah, I I wonder if we're gonna see like a a change in in the way we value like batting average. It used to be like such a dumbo stance to talk about somebody's batting average, which I always push back against. Like that is that does represent something. Yeah. Like I think it's the return of batting average. Mm. We can care about batting average again. Yes. Now you're speaking my language. Dumb guy language. See? This is when our pitcher wins back is the question. When will that ever become back? It never left. No, yeah. To, yeah, to one guy, it didn't. That was it. But anyways, uh, I'm excited for baseball, man. I really am. I will say this, though, that uh, – and, and this is something I want to talk about with you in the second half of the show is – the World Baseball Classic, I know it actually mattered, and it actually had an impact on me because it absorbed a lot of the attention I would have normally given to Blue Jays spring training. I was very invested in reading about Team Canada. I enjoyed watching their team. I learned about who the, all the Canadian players were and which one of them were. Yeah, just who was who in the terms of their prospects organizational charts. I started dreaming about stuff like, listen, there's no way Josh Naylor isn't going to want to play with his brother at one of these things someday, right? The next one that he's going to look at this. And I actually think that one of the biggest, most important things is Mike Trout and Shohei Otani really did make this tournament cool. That moment, and, and Mike Trout being a gracious loser, which is kind of his legacy, I guess, is that he's a gracious loser. And, you know, <laughs> that's he's... I'm re- surprised, like, you you view that as a positive because, you know, I vote him... And I, I, I guess I, I don't, don't want him to talk positive. about how Shohei stinks or something, but, like, I would... I, I, the, and and you don't want to go overboard where, where guys are only thinking about their individual standing in the hierarchy of the yeah. sport. But I would like Mike Trout to want to be the best player in the sport. Yeah, but if he wanted to be the best right player now. in the sport, he wouldn't be playing for the L.A. Angels and he would already want out of there, right? Like, he's yeah. not. He doesn't yeah. want to. This is why when you call him the best and other people do, and I, I say that there are things outside of the numbers that matter. And, yes, I clearly can understand that ring culture has gotten too out of control. And in a sport right. like baseball, we can clearly quantify how impactful someone is and how bad their team's decisions around the player have hurt his chances. Like, them deciding Albert Pujols was going to be the guy. Remember when we talked to Will Leach, too, and he said it was really important to the Angels to have a Hall of Famer, and that's why they gave Albert Pujols even more money to leave? That it wasn't even just the baseball. It was that they wanted to go in the Hall of Fame with an Angels cap, and I went, that sucks to hear if you're Mike Trout. You're going, sorry, what? (laughs) Just get the good baseball players. Yeah, I get that the Angels have been poorly run, but I also don't think Mike Trout has ever put real pressure on the Angels to be meaningfully better, and that matters, and especially when you are a great player on an organization that even look at what Giannis Antetokounmpo did, right, in Milwaukee. He kind of flirted with the idea of leaving, and then the Bucks pushed in, they got Drew Holiday, and they made a trade that at the time everyone went, oh, my God, that's so much to give up for injury-prone Drew Holiday. Boom, they've got a championship, and they're probably the favorites this year to win another one. I don't think Mike Trout's ever done that. Anyway, um, this brings me to this, though. I don't really care about Mike Trout. I don't think anybody does. I think baseball hardcore fans, they've sort of wanted to deify him in a certain way, but Shohei Otani is the real deal. Like, 100%. the guy who hits a walk-off and then goes into, uh, or sorry, gets the double to lead off the walk-off the game before, and then 
ends up being the guy who strikes out Mike Trout, who just has that swagger to him. The way the Japanese team revered him, I thought was really, really telling and interesting. He has basically Ichiro status in that country, seemingly, in terms of just, and like, the respect. He has star power. He's tall. He's 99th percentile good-looking man. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. He's tall. He's handsome. He throws the ball very hard. He can run really fast. He is just... Actually, I know we've done this kind of bit before where we go, why is he so underrated? Why don't people understand this? I, I do feel like it, it does matter, the market that he plays in. The fact that he is an 100%. angel, that he's on, at night, that his yep. games start at 1030, and Dude. that we're not seeing any of this career. I went, Connor McDavid's talking about how hockey fans are being robbed of not getting Olympic sports. I agree with Connor McDavid. But I also think baseball fans are being robbed of Shohei Otani. And so my question to you is this, and this is one that I want to pose to... The audience at large, all right? I'm not even being hot takey with this. Would you want to see him sign with the Red Sox or the Yankees if it meant you got to watch more of his prime and a bunch more games live? Because I would. I would do it. Yeah. I I think I think the Dodgers are probably more likely. After, sure, like, but same problem. I'm not reset. staying up to watch a lot of Dodgers games. No, you I, barely I, see them I'm play the you. Blue Jays. But, and like yeah. part of the whole thing about the World Baseball Classic catching on this this year outside of like the incredible moments and the right teams making it to the final was that the game started at seven o'clock yes. Eastern time. Yes. Like that's 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 pretty important. Yeah, it is. Uh, and they, there was no pitch clock, so they were still like almost four hour games. But they started at seven. And at least we're done before eleven o'clock. Yeah, I, I as much as. Blue Jays fans hate the Yankees and the Red Sox. And listen, I, I grew up as a Blue Jays fan. That's you, you understand what's best for the sport. And the Yankees still have that appeal, right? Like they, they still are the glamour franchise, maybe in all of North American pro sports. The Red Sox, you know, you know pretty similarly, same, same deal. And, and it doesn't guarantee them anything. I mean, look at the Angels. No, I, I think uh, 100%. Yeah, you you would prefer that Shohei Otani went to the East Coast, and if it meant you have to play him, well, listen, you don't have to play him nineteen times a season anymore because we're we're more balanced scheduled. But actually, year. part of this is me being selfish, where I would want to see him play the Blue Jays more. I want to be able to go. I, I keep thinking of how much this city is a high event city, and knowing any game Shohei Otani is going to pitch in Toronto is going to be. Do you remember last year Manoa versus Shohei? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. What a game. More of those games in this city, more of Shohei at 7 o'clock where you can be watching a Blue Jays game in the middle of summer but then also switch over to watch him play baseball, Mm -hmm. having him as a second screen experience because I think people's natural inclination is to go, well, no, like you could watch the Blue Jays game and then the the Angels or then the the Dodgers, right? Then no, nobody's doing that. That's six hours or whatever. Now four and a half hours, five hours of baseball, and ain't nobody cramming that into one night. That's that's a that's a status of a young, I would say a man in his mid twenties max. <laughs> like that's a mid twenties male schedule that you can upkeep that type of viewership. There's just not. It's not going to happen. Having the Yankees or the Red Sox be a second screen experience to me that that would be something that would be really great watching Shohei play there I know that how about the Blue Jays Come well on. here's I mean, yes of, why, why'd you rule them out but they, if the question play, was they, but Ben the, if the question on my radio show was hey would you want Shohei Otani <laughs> on the Blue Jays no like, no too much yeah, cost too much he makes too much like, <laughs> like that is I can't frame it that way it has to at least be a point of discussion and so that's this one I'm looking at it not even about just the state of baseball I kind of picked the Yankees and the Red 
Red Sox because they're two organizations that I think would actually have the money and the prestige to pull him from that place and say, we're going to win. We're, we're going to do this. We're going to build a baseball team around you. I didn't pick those teams because I went, oh, it would be bad for the Blue Jays. Like, I didn't add the Rays to this conversation because they would never pay Shohei Otani. Mm-hmm. Clearly, the Blue Jays getting Shohei would be the, I don't know where it would rank. It, that would be, this is actually another secondary one that I hadn't thought about until this very moment. Would you rather have Shohei Otani on your baseball team or Connor McDavid be a Maple Leaf or... I'm trying to think of who would be Giannis at Tentacumbo still. Yeah, probably, right? Or Luca. Yeah, I was just thinking between those two guys. Mm. Well, I mean, there's a, the basketball one's hard to ignore because you could win. It it's automatically the, yeah. makes you a title contender. Like, yeah. you don't, again, like the Angels have, it, it can't make the playoffs. No, you're, you're dead right. You're dead right that I'm, it's, it's going too far to say it's actually past those guys because they have so much more of an impact on the games. But I will say that Shohei is such a star that he yeah. actually enters the conversation for you. You go, oh my God, sure. getting to watch Shohei Otani that many times a year would be unbelievable. Truly oh, unbelievable. But I still think yeah. I would take Giannis and McDavid over Shohei. Problem is, like, we're, we're approaching the back end of Shohei's career, and I know he's done it two consecutive years, but, like, still every time I watch don't, him, I'm Don't like, rain oh, on man. the Shohei parade while I'm finally <laughs> the getting... The clock is ticking. <laughs> I'm oh, finally yeah. getting full investment in Shohei, and you're like, you already missed it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, man, you watched it a little bit. Yeah. You saw it, at least for, for, you know, 20 pitches in the World Baseball Classic. But, mm-hmm. yeah. I, he's I, only 28. The, there there, is I no could price... see this for three more years, four more years. I mean, that would be incredible. Now, mm-hmm. Honestly, if... If that's that's also a good question. Like I know we did this when the, the Blue Jays signed Hunjin Ryu. Like how many how many innings, how many years of Hunjin Ryu do you need to get before you call that contract a, a success? Considering that he's been injured turns, every other year. Turns out you got one fake season's worth. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like, yeah. all right, they made the playoffs and he was you know top ten in Cy Young he was, award voting. Yeah, he was top three and he six. was also a joy to watch. So I support. He was. It. That's the thing. People forget about that. But yeah. no, like if you could. So if I told you you get two more years of this Shohei Otani uh would you would you take that or would you roll the dice on, on roll the dice just playing it out I'd roll the dice I'd roll the dice because I, I think that where where we're at right now with sports science and where we're at he's just already had TJ though like he's already yeah I, I'm just I'm gonna I'm, I'm just telling you that I'm not someone who first of all I think the whole point of sports is that you don't know what's going to happen. So the idea of ever, when people go, would you take this guaranteed outcome? I go, no. I, life. Yeah. yeah, I'm a roll the dice guy. I'm a roll the dice guy. I like to live <laughs> adventurously. I, no, I, I see. I'm not like all of you out there with your mundane lives wanting routine. <laughs> I want excitement, all right? Mm. I actually felt very appreciative coming to work today knowing that we get to do this and that it is something different every day, that we get to, you know shoot around different topics and do whatever the hell we want. It's just very nice rather than showing up and knowing exactly what you have to do. And Oh, yeah. Like, anyway, yeah. yeah. Uh, someday <laughs> when... That was, that was a nice non sequitur, but I, I appreciated it. Yeah, no, it was, just, it was just nice. I was on the train and it was full and I went, I'm going to a job that I really love. I'm oh, going into nice. work today to talk with my friend and see my buddies and it was going to be nice. It was a nice day. I was having a good day. It is also my second train observation while we're off the tracks. Haha. <laughs> uh, is that there's a funny thing about riding the subway where you get on the train and if it's packed, every stop down the line where more people get on, you're like, oh, 
this is our train. Just a matter of this guy's getting on, making it's it all like crap for us. It's like a matter of birth, right? It's <laughs> yeah. like, yeah, it's not. You didn't do anything just because you live at a station that is, is yeah. further down the line than no, those other people. I know. It's so funny. But it's just, there's. you can tell that I think everybody's thinking the same thing. Like, oh, just skip this get stop. Get your own train. Yeah, leave these losers. Why are you getting on now? Like, you're late for work, probably. Who are you? Why are you getting on this time? It cracks me up every time I think it, like this entitlement over my train car. What well, do you do with my like, train car? I, I I know this, but it's and maybe it's the first time I'd ever seen it. But somebody overlaid the TTC tracks over Manhattan, and oh yeah, then it just goes up the sides of Manhattan and like nowhere else. And then you know you see joke. what what you get in New York City as far as uh, yeah subway. Yeah, I know, it's and it's different. they're they're screwed. They had to have done it long ago, and now it's just yeah, it, we're. We're trapped. We're that's the one of the worst things about the city. Everybody knows it is our commutes are a nightmare, and there's just no reasonable improvement that's going to happen. No, in, somebody has to like sacrifice their political career for like the greater good, and yeah. it needs to be like a ten year investment where it's like, yeah, yeah well, the next decade's not going to be great, but like your kids are really going to yeah, enjoy exactly. the infrastructure. That's it. No, no, no. And that's it's just that's not the way we're built anymore. Everybody's the most important person, and so there's just no way uh, that we're going to be doing any of that. So. Um, yeah, I would take Shohei. <laughs> I would take Shohei on the Yankees or the Red Sox if I meant I got to see him more. Uh, that's just who I, I, I just, I want to see the most relevant baseball players in the spot. And I think that part of the reason, if, if I'm being honest about why I rip a guy like Trout as often as I do is because I, I do feel a little cheated that I didn't get to see this guy's career, that I didn't get Mike Trout in big moments when he was the greatest baseball player on earth. And I will always say that. Uh, the most he has now had some meaningful moments, which is one, he had an MVP trophy on the line against the Blue Jays, and Josh Donaldson beat the brakes off yep. of him that weekend and stole his award. So he's a choker there, and he didn't make the playoffs. Uh, and two is that he had a chance against Shohei Otani to do something, and he struck out. And those are the two most meaningful moments of his career, and he was a big loser in both of them. And so, yeah, I just... No, he had three hits against Columbia. How dare you? Yeah, great. Exactly. <laughs> three-two win. Yeah, so I'm just... Columbia. That's That was his biggest moment in the World Baseball Classic. And the numbers were good for him. But, no, I, I agree with you. And, and you know, Shohei hasn't done anything yet. But you know what Shohei also hasn't done? Put pen to paper on an extension with That's the Angels. It. Yes. He's, he's, and he said, if not explicitly, like, let it be known that he's not a big fan of playing meaningless baseball for oh, half of the season. I know. Like, this, he's this so guy, cool. He's like, I hate yeah. this. Losing is unacceptable yeah. to me. Nice if I best. would have known that I was going to be such a loser here, I never would have come. And yep. the angels are scrambling going, can we figure this out in time? And the whole world knows they won't. And that if Shohei Otani does it, he'll be trapped there. He will be trapped. We'll never be able to free him. We got to get Shohei Otani over to the East I... Coast. We got to get Shohei Otani to a meaningful market. It needs to happen. If it's the Dodgers, fine. I guess I just... Ugh. then we're only watching him in playoffs and the odd night, Sunday night baseball, the odd East Coast game. It's just, it's more of him, but it's not as much as I want. Hungry. I wonder if he, like for a guy that seemingly cares as little about money as he does, and that he clearly does. Like he came over yeah. to Major League Baseball before he could have I know. to go through the arbitration system, right? And not become a true free agent because he just wanted to play in the biggest stage. And he's talking about wins, and, and as opposed to, and well, I mean, what do you know about his personal life? Next no, topic. I know, but I, I don't this, think he, all he cares respect, about is right? baseball. I know, but it's What's also that? Th there's things with the money that are beyond just. One is that's one thing where he knew later in his career he needed to get over to Major League Baseball and not dwindle another year of his prime away in uh, an inferior league for him. So I think that 
playing such a big part. Now he's not in a position where he has to choose between the two things. Like the places that are going to win are also going to be the places that are going to spend the most money. And so for him, I, I think he's, he's not going to have to make that decision. Plus to me, if I'm Shohei, part of this is going to be, I want to be the highest paid player in baseball because I, I want the respect of like, I, I want that attached to my name. But I wonder if, and I, again, this, this is, not even informed speculation. This is total throwing stuff at the wall. But I wonder yeah. if he just takes the the, the shorter term, like enormous money deal for like three years. What if he, you know, too much three risk. years, two hundred million dollar deal to go somewhere to keep the pressure on to keep his options open? If if where he goes, because yeah, like I don't you think just said it. You just Angels said that you were trying to stay. put it in a two year window of guarantee. So it's hard for me to think that he wouldn't be thinking something along those lines. Like, I, I know that that's a fun idea to think about. That's sort of the Austin Matthews model, but Austin right. Matthews, he's going to score goals until he's, he's going to age like Ovechkin. He's a huge guy who has yeah. a special and unique shot. He could basically be on one leg and look at him this season. He's been playing with one hand essentially, and he's yes. still putting up these numbers. Austin Matthews is fine. He can roll the dice on shorter contracts. A baseball player who's already had TJ, who is literally a one of one since the sport was, uh, guys, <laughs> yeah, it was Babe Ruth literally. What well, uh, Babe Ruth wasn't this though? Like what? Yeah, Babe Ruth was never the best pitcher and best hitter in the sport at the same time. Like he had moments no, where not, he was each not be disrespectful of those things, but not he was never Shohei. Shohei okay. way better than Babe Ruth. All right, all right. That's, uh, no. Anyways, yeah. Uh, Babe, Babe is the Babe. Uh, it's pretty. It's. I don't Thanks. think the cool thing about Babe Ruth is that. We're going to know his name forever. I don't know if we'll do the same with Shohei Otani, right? Like Babe Ruth is synonymous with baseball in the way that you can say that to any person on planet Earth and they'll know exactly what you're talking about. I don't know if Shohei Otani 100 years from now people are going to do that. Well, they're going to go Shohei Otani. Like Babe Ruth is eternal. I think, I think, yeah, what we got in the final against Mike Trout like did yeah, add was, the possibility sure. of that happening though. Yeah, all right. Uh, that's, yeah, I don't I think he's got a ways to go before we're doing Babe Ruth. Anyway, um, we did the Trout Legacy Stakes. We did Otani. Um, oh, this is my last one on this topic, and then we'll take a break and talk a little Blue Jays. Do you think that I'm being too much of a dreamer when I say that the Connor McDavid thing actually mattered in the sense of this will force other sports to be more aggressive when it comes to making changes to their game? Because with hockey, right, like you have a commissioner who has is, is now going to take slings and arrows as he should because – he is the main reason why hockey players have not represented their countries for a decade in a meaningful way, um, that we've been cheated out of these things, but also that he is just indignant about the things with the game right now, whether it's the playoff format, the style of play, whatever, right? Same thing with the NBA, where they've got this CBA coming up and they've got a little bit of, uh, hey, potential that guys are going to have to play a certain amount of game to be eligible for major awards, but I don't know how many guys that have already stacked those up are really going to care about those things, right? The the MVP seems to be losing a little bit of its meaning, blah, 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 blah. My, my point is, do you think that this actually will, a guy like Gary Bettman, a guy like Adam Silver, that those two guys are going to look at this approach and say, you know what, we, we actually can be a little bit more aggressive with the ways that we change our game and the way that we market our game because if baseball can do it, we can do it. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, the thing is, I would have said if baseball can do it, we can do it as, you know, baseball being the, the, the sorry, uh, sibling of the bunch except like hockey it's the the real no hockey can do it no but we ben, can do it. i mean it more so from the standpoint of 
baseball is the number one sport where the people who are so offended by the steroids, they're mad because it screwed up the numbers of the game, that everything about baseball was sacred and cherished because you could trace it back to Babe Ruth playing, right, in the in the early 1900s and say, like, what, he played 1914, I think he started his career, 1915, somewhere around there, and you could trace it all the way across 100 years and go, this the game is played the exact same way. The dimensions, everything is the exact same. And that's what made the the, the statistics so cherished. And now baseball is saying, we're still going to change things. The base sizes, we don't care. We're going to change the pitch clock, we don't care. It's going to alter the game fundamentally, something that, yeah, has been an American institution, that they're changing it. And I, I look at hockey and I look at basketball and I say, why can't you be a little bit more aggressive with this too? Can you find out creative ways to either try to also, hockey you can't shorten, but basketball... I kind of think you could. You could you could shorten yeah. these leagues in terms of numbers of games they play. You could shorten yeah. – there, there the are creative revenue, things you can though. do. Yeah. I mean, unless you're adding like a mid-season, the, the tournament, the Champions League style yeah. thing that, you know, they've talked about. I don't know how you – you can't just like – like I like the idea of lopping off four games a team. But, yeah, I mean, that's real revenue taken out of uh, billionaires' pockets, which they're, they're probably not game to do. No, there there have been significant changes in both of those sports, but yes, I think the overall arching um, point is correct. That look at this sport that was, I mean, for what a decade plus, been the subject of ridicule for its its dwindling uh, attention, viewership, cachet, Q rating, whatever you want to call it, and and it's just a it's a small moment of time, and we haven't even seen regular season games played with these rules, but it does really feel like. They've they've done a complete overhaul, an image overhaul, in a matter of just a couple of months. I really hope it works out. I'm I'm hoping that we're not getting too excited about this, and then it doesn't fundamentally impact viewership. Because well, the, it'll be tough to tell because this city is such a baseball crazy city, right? And the Blue Jays are such a hot commodity, and they have a chance to win a World Series that it'll always feel big here. Yeah, and also though, there's a. It's getting harder and harder to interpret television numbers when so many more people are going to online and we have a lot of information we don't know about, right, in terms of these things. And so, and and you and I have done this too, where we have to use these little pieces. And I know our bosses do stuff like this too, right, where they go, okay, well, look at the impressions of this tweet. And then you remember so many people aren't on Twitter. And then you go, well, how do you account for that? You can't. You're just using these pieces. You're trying to put it all together. But to me, I, I just... I guess I am surprised a little bit that baseball purist old school fans have seemingly embraced the pitch clock in my anecdotal sphere the way that it seems to be where it is now. People are really not only embracing it but seem excited for it. And if you would have said that to me a couple of years ago or if you would have asked me to guess if baseball was going to make changes like this, normally people who are big-time sports fans push back to change. We do it, a lot of us, in our lives, right? Who, who's always like, yay, change, amazing, it's freaks. <laughs> it's mostly people that like comfort. They like the thing they like for a reason already, and they're not about trying to change it so that it uh, brings in more people. This just seems to be a change that is working. And I hope, again, I'm really optimistic right now about the future of the sport, but also, yes, the idea that this is going to put pressure on the other leagues. I actually think that what sucks for hockey is that it's just it's so relevant that Gary Bettman's like, you guys think this matters to me? All I care about is my owners getting more money in their pockets, which they are. I just don't think it's going to be sustainable for that league. And eventually, the yeah, the bottom might fall out if they continue at this rate. Anyways, let's take a quick break. Let's come back. And I want to talk to you about 
Yeah, what's been going on with the Blue Jays? Because they've been gone <laughs> since I've been watching other baseball. Good hour, continue. Subscribe to the podcast, leave five stars. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram, at JD Bunkus, at Sportsnet Ben. Quick break, we'll be back in a second. Sportsnet 590, the fan. Okay, so I mentioned to you how the Blue Jays feel like they've been in a, just a, the, the quietest mode since the World Baseball Classic started. And I, uh, the biggest story for the Blue Jays was a World Baseball Classic moment, which was Jose Barrios getting shelled in his outing. Um, he bounced back in spring, though, so... Oh, yeah, it means a ton. It's, yeah, it's meaningful. It's good. And I'm, no. I'm just going to trust Pete Walker when he says that they had a different game plan that he would have never used... Which was pitching, the throwing this fastball to the other team. <laughs> and we would have never done that. We would have never had Barrios throwing his fastball to good hitters. That's not what we would have done. We would have had him roll it to them, and that's what we would have done. Anyway, um, have I missed anything? Because I've been trying to keep track, and I obviously always continue to look for stories. And it, is this just me looking at the Leafs and the Raptors and World Baseball Classic and NFL free agency and missing stuff from Blue Jays camp? Or has there been something that's actually interested you? Because I, I do feel like it's been weeks now where I, I'm i trying to think of what the story is that's most interested me. And it's sort it was, of just It was repeats. Ricky Tiedemann, but yeah. it's been a while. But that's like the Ricky Tiedemann first appearance. Yeah. The Ricky Tiedemann first appearance where he was hitting 100, like that was legit exciting and less exciting when mm-hmm. he wasn't nearly throwing his heart his next outing and got hit around a little bit. And certainly less exciting than that even when he hurt his shoulder a little bit. Yeah, but I'm talking and... about now. I'm talking about now, like the last couple of weeks since he's been hurt because he's been, yeah, he's gone. And we've already accepted that he's gone. And also it sucks that I had Keith Law on and he went, yeah, uh, I'm not really too high on this guy. He gets hurt all the time. And it's very, his the way he throws historically it's basically like uh, just a few guys that have done this <laughs> and i went oh yeah well so get him up to the major leagues as soon as possible no mm-hmm. um the th- it, it's been a really weird spring training for this team and i guess it shouldn't be weird when you are a world series contender that there's not a lot of open spots for grabs like there's a bunch of new players and i i guess it was interesting to see what dalton varsho has done and and brandon belt and we know what kevin kiermeyer is and at least he yeah. looks healthy like kiermeyer looks healthy but there's it's like we're, we're talking about Otto Lopez versus Nathan Lucas for the 26th man. And I guess the, the biggest thing that could have swung the conversation is not, you know, what Yusei Kikuchi and Jose Barrios have done, which is pitch well in spring training. Again, back to what I said earlier, individual performances in spring have no correlation to performance during the regular season. But it would have been not a great look for Yusei if he was, like, walking nine guys, like, couldn't get through one or two innings in spring training. They would have the way literally he, had to have signed someone else if that was the case. It would have been a nightmare of, of, of all nightmares. But no, he's gotten through the innings they expected him to, and and you could, if I don't know, if you want to believe, you can believe that Yusei Kikuchi can be a valuable fifth starter on a World Series contender. But uh, outside do. of that, and like, yeah, Jose Barrios, he looks mm-hmm. fine in spring training. Again, doesn't mean that he's going to, be a top five Cy Young award contender. I think, you know, all likelihood is that he's a guy that has a mid four ERAs, which is totally fine. And honestly, going back to the, the, the trade and the signing, that's you were expecting him to be like a slightly above average ERA guy, but just take the ball 30 times a season. But outside, outside of that, and it's, it's guys like Rainer Nunez, who's cool. Who's like a cool story. He's got one of the, he's, he's First a top 10. I hearing that name. 
Joe? Yeah, well, then you obviously don't read Arden's Welling on Sportsnet. There's an article about him on Sportsnet. Yeah. What, today? No, no, no. No, it was yesterday. Oh, sorry. I missed one article. <laughs> yeah, anyway. No, but anyways, he's he's one of the, the big uh, uh, exit velocity guys of spring training. He's top uh. 10. Average exit velocity, but yeah, I did. Cool name. Th- that's 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 more hard hardo baseball yeah. stuff. But no, I, I, things that matter, not a ton out of blue. Jays I can't tell if that's good or bad because I'm trying to think about the stories from spring and do it on an aggregate. And I go, seems Gosman, one of the team's most important pitchers, is pretty upset about the pitch clock, seemingly more so than most guys around baseball, other than maybe Max Scherzer, who yeah, but he's he's adjusted really well. Like he's. Like the first start, he looked a little uncomfortable, but since then he's been okay. he's been spectacular. But I don't want to hear that spring doesn't matter, and then he looks spectacular. You know what I'm saying? No, Here's no, a, but a, I mean, but again, like you could tell not results, but okay. he was walking and and getting into deep counts against uh, batters in his first start, which we're okay. not used to seeing at all. I I still. I still want to see it. Okay, here's my spring aggregate right now, and I'll I'll, I'll discuss this further with you probably next week when we're doing our uh, a yearly uh, opener game. This is the first time, by the way, I'm not going to be able to go to the home Laker. Yeah, I was looking at the schedule for the home opener, and it's across from I think Leafs Lightning, and I I just I know it's it's a nightmare for me. I, I've been to every home opener since I want to say other than pandemic, clearly. Uh, probably back to 2012, maybe 2011. So it's I'll just drink this. A Bud Light for you, buddy. I, no, I'm I'm really in. I, I really don't know how to feel about it. I'm I'm really sad. Like I'm, I'm like preemptively. I looked at it a month or two ago, and I got really sad. Mm. Uh, and McKee was nice. He was like, "I'll work Leafs talk. You can go." And I I always go to games with Sam. He's one of my number one guys. I go to game with, and I went. I can't do this. Like I, mm. we'll go to game two. I guess what it'll an be honorable. Not the same. Do. It's not the same. Anyway, um. God, now I'm so distracted because I'm so sad about missing this baseball game. It's one of my favorite events every year. Uh, it's one of my, yeah, personal I need to haves. But on aggregate, and we'll deep dive into this next week, Jays were supposed to be stealing more bases with the bigger bases. Turns out that uh, Whit Merrifield's old legs are not going to be stealing too many bases. Uh, Bo Bichette inexplicably has gotten slower over the last two seasons, he's not a big stolen base guy. Yeah, I don't know how much we were supposed to believe in Kevin Biggio being Mr. Burner, but apparently he was that. Turns out, like, maybe George Springer is still the guy. The injury-prone player is still the number one stolen base guy. Okay, so that was a little bit overstated, over-exaggerated. Um, their best pitcher is having to deal with a pitch clock issue. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. hurt his knee. Um, Jose Barrios has had a tough outing at the World Baseball Classic, and there's real consternation about his future. Kukuchi stock was up a little bit, so that's nice. So you're looking at, but that that's what I'm saying is this is just the aggregate. There has been essentially nothing on Dalton no. Varsho, which I go, I don't know what to read into that. I'm going to choose that it's nothing right now. Um, there's been a good story about Chris Bassett and his leadership with the team and that he is using the pitch clock to his advantage and kind of being a bit of a vocal leader with the team. Uh, outside of that, yeah, I, I don't, I don't really know what to make of this spring. It's been a little strange for me. Anyway, um, more of that next week. Uh, you mentioned that you saw a list today of yeah. Bobachet and Vladimir Guerrero Jr.'s rankings in the top 100 players in baseball. Where did they rank? Is ESPN? Yeah, it was ESPN. So this is yeah, Demar Derozan very much paying attention to these rankings, or at least he, he used to be uh, when the NBA version of this came out. And what was it like him and Chris Middleton? Like that was the big yeah. debate, right? Yeah. Like who who was better than the other guy? Yeah, it um, turns out that was actually really appropriate that they were side by side, and then Middleton became a champion and an integral part <laughs> of that team. And Derozan's one of the worst playoff players in, in the history of the game. But yeah, uh, I love so- Demar. 
naturally, one two is Shohei Otani, and at least ESPN believes Mike Trout is is number two. But wow. uh, down to sixteen is Vladimir Guerrero three? Jr. What's that? Who's number three? Number three, uh, Aaron least, Judge. I think it's yeah. Aaron Judge. I was going ge- yeah. to guess it was Aaron Judge, but yeah. Uh, that was and Manny Machado four. Four. Freddie yeah. Freeman five. Freddie Freeman uh, five. Yeah. Ahead of Mookie. Yep. All right. Uh, uh, Vlad me. sixteen. Bobichet forty nine. And to me, that was the biggest outlier. Mm. And and Vlad gets tons of credit for his. Uh, second place MVP outing a couple mm-hmm. of years ago, but like way too much. Bobichet has led the American League in hits two consecutive years, and I get it. He, he also sucked has... for most of the season last year, but yeah, okay. Who cares? What, right. what, what, like, and that that's part of the write up they right. have on Bobichet. Yeah. Is this a sport where like okay, because you have a bad series or you have a bad month, like? But he had do, multiple. Do, do you bad see months. that on your baseball reference page? You don't. In fact, you if do, you were actually, going you to choose to a part of the season to be superior, wouldn't it be the end of the season? Yeah. And he finished with the, the almost exact same counting stats, two mm-hmm. consecutive years, been one of the best hitters at the most premium position. Fangraph's war has him with more career war than Vlad Jr. Why is he 30 spots down the rankings from a guy who plays first base pretty well and he won a gold glove? I'll tell you what's a lot easier to do, play good defense at first base than even average defense at shortstop. And he's not as good as Bo. Like, he had one great season where he got to play 40 games in joke ballparks. I get it. And and you can't take that away from him. And, and that he realized his potential for one year. Bo Bichette has been – you can pencil him in for almost 200 hits. Yeah. And, and, okay, the defense leaves a little bit to be desired. Okay. But at the end of the but year, he's going to have the same stats. This, is, this was incredible. That was what a rant for Bo propaganda. For those of you that listen to the show regularly, Ben Ennis hating on Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is not a new thing. It's basically his number one hobby horse. So I'm not surprised by this opinion at all. But, yeah, to me, it sort of does matter that one guy has a runner-up for an MVP. The other one absolutely doesn't. And that one guy was basically every Blue Jays fan and commentator was throwing Bo Bichette into every uh, – uh, Juan Soto trade that they possibly could last year because the guy stunk well, up the joint for an entire well, year. Juan Soto's much better. Yes, like, I'm not going to argue. I'm just saying he's most he's much better than both guys. Yeah, I'm just saying that uh, one guy has clearly shown much higher is an above average defender at his position, and the other guy is a below average defender at his position who's probably only going to get worse at this year. I just yeah. Well, I think I want my shortstop to be uh, a really good defensive player. That's one position where I coveted. It's not corner outfield. So, yeah, um, I, I think it's pretty reasonable that Vlad is coveted much more on this list. And I also don't think it's an embarrassing thing to be viewed as one of, what was he, 46? 49. Okay, well, I was just going to, I was, the point remains that he's a top 50 player in baseball. I think that's kind of a fair assessment. He had a, he had a, a, Bo had a really great finish to that year. It was torrid. It was incredible. But ultimately, I would not say that last year was a great year for Bo Bichette. Anyway, we got to go. But before we do, yes, Austin. He's like, uh, say the thing. Yeah, I'm gearing up. I'm, I'm ice cold giving picks out on the show right now. It's terrible. Yesterday I went, I'm, I like Colorado to win. And then, of course, Kale McCarr doesn't play, which is one of the bummers of doing this so early in the day. And then I say, I'm worried that Luca or Kyrie might not play. And then Kyrie doesn't play and the Mavericks lose on such a horrific fashion that they're protesting the game. Like I am snake bit in this to the point where I'm almost thinking of just going with the opposite of what I think my bet is. Uh, I'm going to have to give out multiple picks today simply because we're going to see how cold I am, all right? So it's Best Bets, brought to you by our friends at Patano, uh, the 2022 Global Sports Betting Operator of the Year. 
a book that I really, really, really like. Um, okay, so there's a few things I like tonight. This is a spooky line. I don't really understand it. Uh, I wish I had more time to research it, but I looked at the injury report and it doesn't look like the Knicks are sitting anybody. I don't know why the Knicks are only two and a half point favorites against the Orlando Magic. Magic are a bit in a free fall right now. They're not playing their best basketball. It's on the road, but I still like the Knicks in this spot. Minus two and a half doesn't feel like that much to be giving up for a far better team. Now, college ball, where I've actually been hot, so now I'm dead cursed giving these picks. Drew Timmy, the the 40-year-old with a million post moves for Gonzaga is playing UCLA tonight, and his total is 19 and a half. He had 28 last game, 21 the game before that in the tournament. He's basically their entire reliable offense. If he can stay to foul trouble, I like him to go over that 19 and a half number. Same with Jaime uh, Jacquez. I could see both of these guys being, yeah, the number one leading scorer for the UCLA Bruins. I kind of like just the total in this game. I'm going to bet on the over and have a fun one at the end of the night. So I like that. Uh, but yes, uh, Jacquez, Jacquez, I never get his Hawkes. name right. Hawkes. I knew Jaime Hawkes. I know, that's it. I was like, I never get this dude's name right, and I've seen him play 20 basketball <laughs> games. And every time I read it, I'm like, which is this again? Uh, I like him to go over his point total. And I, I just want to believe that he and Drew Timmy are going to go like head-to-head, two senior players, two guys that are the leading scorers of their programs in a huge game, Sweet 16 game, that these two guys are going to step up on the stage and score a bunch of points. So I'm hoping this is it. I'm hoping that I'm giving all these picks out today for Botano and that we're going to hit and that we are going to stop giving the book the money because it's like basically the way I'm giving picks and telling you that I like Botano is that I like them so much that I want them to have all your money because <laughs> my picks have been so ice cold. We're just donating. Oh, my God. It's a nightmare. Anyways, we got to figure this out. I got to get back on track here. Um, all right, so that was best bets brought to you by our friends at Patano. Again, the 2022 Global Sports Betting Operator of the Year. Incredible book, growing and growing. Um, the game starts now. Uh, ben Ennis, thank you for your time. Quick break. Let's come back and let's talk to Craig Simpson. Hey, it's Ben So, yeah, the biggest thing from the World Baseball Classic to me is that Conor McDavid spoke out that he mentioned it, and there is this point of discussion going around the hockey world right now that I've been saying forever and ever and ever and ever. It's not like I've been alone in this thought. The players have wanted it. We've all wanted it. The NHL has found every excuse in the book to not play international hockey. But a moment like that, that drew in so many casual viewers, that was so important to Japan, it resonated across the sporting world. And yeah, to the casuals of the world. And it, it clearly pissed off the game's best player. And he spoke about it, and the rest of the world has since responded. And I don't know if the pressure is real on hockey. They always, again, they, they find something else, another reason not to do it. But it really was a reminder to me of how oftentimes in this sport, the, the players are not vocal enough. And McDavid has actually had a few spots where he's brought up some of his frustration with the rule changes, some of his frustration even with his own organization. Uh, I think he struck a pretty decent balance. And lately, I don't know, this is such a weird take for me to have, but <laughs> watching him at the Junos, just the way, I'm just saying. He <laughs> this watched, is a Pete Walker. <laughs> he just had a little bit more of a looking like a guy who is just very comfortable in his own skin. He's comfortable kind of being a star. And I think it's very, very important that he stays as a vocal 
yeah, head of the players. Mm-hmm. Hockey is a sport where the best guys get to say the thing at the very top. And a lot of times there's reluctance amongst other players to say, well, who am I to say this? It's part of the culture. Right. So McDavid being at doing this, very, very important. Craig Simpson, Hockey Night in Canada, Stanley Cup champion. Um, do you think I'm overstating that, Craig? Just how important it is for Connor McDavid to continue to speak on the game and the state of it? No, not at all. And I, I think that's just part of the maturity and the growth of him. Um, not just as a player is what you're seeing on a pretty special year, but just just as a person, uh, growing the, it, into a role of maybe being more comfortable, realizing uh, I have to be more vocal. I, I have to take on that leadership. You look in past, you know, you're right about the culture or maybe just the the dynamics of the, the hockey playing stars of the past. It, it's maybe a little different than other um, sports in terms of the way they talk or the way that they'll stand up for themselves or, or represent the, the game. But I just think he's realizing um, just how important he is and his voice can be, uh, especially in a year where, you know, he's really just been the talk of the National Hockey League uh, with his play on the ice. And I just think that he's so much more comfortable. You, you got to remember, too, it's uh, if you even go back to like to the comparison of Wayne Gretzky early on in his career, having the success that he did to Mario Lemieux early on in his career, and maybe not saying as much and not having a good team. And the Canada cup 87 changed all that for Mario. Uh, just look at, look at that moment. I, I can tell you as a teammate, he came back to such a different guy having played with, Mark Messier, Wayne Gretzky, and been the best goal scorer in that tournament and what he and Wayne did together, there's your example. You know, Mario had never had any success. And like Connor McDavid, seven years into his, you know, got his first real taste of going to the conference final and hoping to have some success. He never had that that moment like the Canada Cup 87 where for Mario it was like, oh, I get it now. And there's... There's your difference of what the leaders of the league and the best players do to be prepared and to continue to be the best. And Mario just took off from there too. Yeah, um, that's a that's a really great example. And I wonder, in you saying that, how much the series against Calgary boosted Connor McDavid and just his confidence as a player and what he wanted in terms of his goals. Because to make my second cross-board comparison of this segment... Um, Connor McDavid in that series against Calgary was the most I was reminded of Shaquille O'Neal in the sense of just hockey, where I felt like, oh, you just cannot stop this guy, and this isn't fair. Like, he has broken your team, and this is just every single time he gets the ball slash the puck, it is, oh, I know exactly what he's doing. He's going to the rim, and nobody can stop him. Oh, Connor McDavid's going to get the puck. Well, he's going to go to dangerous areas of the ice, and he's going to create, and he's going to hurt you. And so, yeah, I just I want to see McDavid continue to speak up the secondary question is, though, do you think this actually puts any pressure on hockey to get their act together and start playing international sports? Well, I mean, yes. I, I, I think more than maybe, you know, you'd like to admit that there's, there's been pressure to do it uh, more from, from the player's side, for sure. I do think, unlike baseball, unlike uh, other sports, in the fact that baseball is doing this in spring training is not lost, you know, like to, to cut the middle of the season the way like we've had to do with Olympic wise. I mean, hockey does get uh, stuck in that mode. If you go back to 87 again, like 
I was Mario's teammate watching him do all this while we were at starting training camp. And that's sort of the timing that does make sense. It's the least disruptive. And that, uh, you know, I guess what the last time was the, uh, uh, whatever it was called, (laughs) Um, the last time we had it in 2016 when... Yeah, it was World Cup of Hockey. World Cup, thank you. I just drew a blank. Um, yeah, and guess I, what? It wasn't I, exactly the most memorable tournament, man. So, no, yeah. <laughs> no. And so I, I think the Olympic has has been a miss, but I, I do think at, at least like a, that Canada Cup type scenario uh, at the beginning of the year, because it is so taxing. Hockey is such a difficult sport to just jump into that kind of competition and just in the middle of the season uh, and and hope that somebody you know doesn't get injured. All, all those definitive factors. But I think when the game's best player stands up after watching what was it, just an amazing fairy tale ending for the World Baseball Classic like that, just shows you how important it is to get the best guys going head to head and playing with and against each other. It also made me just realize the importance of McDavid from the standpoint of, I went, oh, it's so important for him to stand up and say this about international play. You know who's done that yeah. over and over and over again? Uh, Ovechkin. <laughs> He's been doing that. Like he basically half threatened retiring or going back to the KHL so that he could play for Russia in the Olympics. And it kind of felt like it went away pretty quickly. And obviously Russia is not exactly in a positive news cycle right now. They, they probably wouldn't even be able to play in whatever hockey tournament that they decide they devise up, whether it's a world cup or whether it's Olympics, whatever that ends up being, he's sort of out. So his voice is diminished and all those Russian players that want to as well. But yeah, um, I'm hoping McDavid continues to do this. I hope he continues to press because yeah, I, I just don't think that the sport can continue to endure it. And I think that for, from my vantage point, the biggest loss in all of this is they keep wanting to grow in U.S. markets. They keep wanting to say that places like Arizona matter. You go, okay, fine. Um, you want to keep your teams in Florida. You want to continue to tell us that the league should be a salary cap that's hard for Montreal has to spend the same amount of money as the Florida Panthers. Fine, fine, fine. But now the greatest generation of American-born players, a team that would have genuinely rivaled Canada and created what would have been a really beautiful rivalry this last decade – just evaporated. Yeah. It's just gone. And yeah. it's tragic to me. Like sports but tragic. You, the the cycle though, you you saying about Ovechkin and uh, and one play for Russia, yeah. the cycle of Olympics haven't done us any favors. We no. do know that from the league standpoint, I do understand shutting down your league uh, or taking the best players and I, you can't play games while your best players are gone. So you really do need to shut down the league. But to go to time zones that just literally make zero sense. And like even even the baseball example this last time is in prime time, you know, big moments, yep. everybody watching. When the Olympics were in Salt Lake City in the US, that was a big deal. Like awesome. the NHL needed and wanted to be there. When it was in Vancouver, the NHL is not gonna miss if if Vancouver was coming up here. The NHL is not going to miss Connor McDavid and even Sydney in his last year, you know, coming back and being the focus. That's where they're saying there's the gamble for the NHL because it makes sense. With Ovechkin, it was in Sochi, right? It's yep. Russia. And so that's, again, the timing of that wasn't great for the league. But but that is the challenge, and that's that's the hard part of the uh, the timing of the Olympics. And that's why I do think – you did have a stretch where the NHLPA and the NHL should have been better and stronger partners to get 
know, the World Cup was okay, as you mentioned back then, but to, a Canada Cup scenario was in before the start of the season is what I think has really been missing, despite the fact that the Olympics have been in countries and time zones that, quite frankly, haven't made a whole lot of sense for the league perspective anyways to stop and, and go away on. I would love to have seen it because yeah. I think the fans that are into it would love it and want it and uh, would watch it, even though it's crazy times. But it hasn't been that impetus to say, like Salt Lake and like Vancouver, oh, you got to do this for hockey. So. Yeah. Uh, that's completely correct. But I also think that's been one of the game's big problems, or at least the way that it's being run right now, is they'll have a point as to why something should start, but then they end up yeah. taking it too far and they dig in too deep and there isn't enough compromise. And a lot of times it's actually met with, even when people try to come up with solutions or ideas for stuff with, well, you actually have no idea what's going on. We do. And you're like, okay, great. Mm-hmm. That's really fun. That's a really fun top-down message that you send to, the, to your league, to your players, to your media members to your former players, whoever. Um, so the Leafs, they are 5-5 five and five in their last 10, and the analytics for them are quite bad over that stretch. Granted, um, there's some real outlier games that they haven't really played too much of as of late. They've got, yeah, one of the lower expected goals for percentages in the league, one of the lower high-danger chances for percentages of the league. And, yeah, they've just scuffled. They found ways to win some of these games, Craig, and they've, they've changed a lot with their roster. They've had some injuries. But I am curious, what you're seeing right now, how much of this has to do with major roster turnover to you versus, yeah, a team that just actually has high expectations might be a slump? Like, what, what are you seeing right now with the Leafs as they're kind of struggling? You know, I, I just see, like, uh, human nature in, in a sense of you've kind of been a foregone conclusion what – it's going to look like at the end of the year and what playoffs are all about. You know, you're going to be playing Tampa, you know, quite frankly, I I wouldn't even be worried whether you want home ice or not. So uh, I think in the back of your head, you're going quite frankly, I don't care. Home ice didn't do you any good last year. Uh, I like starting on the road and putting a little pressure on. I, I think it's a case of a little bit of knowing who your opponent's going to be for the last basically couple of months and just being in the mode like quite frankly i am like let's get to playoffs <laughs> yeah well, <laughs> I, you know right you do every day i, yeah. I feel the same way guys let's let's fast forward so i think that that's a little bit of human nature that's a little bit of human dynamics add to the fact the new bodies i i think the injury to o'reilly is probably the the biggest impetus for all the seven and 11 and trying to get guys in and moving guys around because you know, he's going to play a significant role and where is he going to fit? Now all of a sudden you've taken that out of the jigsaw puzzle too. And so I, I've lived this a little bit, both as a player and being around it when, when you're stuck in that mode and you know where you're going to be, you can talk as much as you can about preparing on a nightly basis. And the, the one thing I will say about the Leafs, whether you don't like their, numbers or how the analytics have looked at it here you're 70 games in and you've only twice had two games in a row where you haven't had a point i mean they've been 0-2 two two times and other than that they've had a you know a point uh in every other game and so your consistency has been okay but that's hard uh, you know it's hard when you're stuck where you are and you know your opponent and I, I, I don't blame a little bit. It's just kind of human nature going, let's just get through these last and get ready to, to be focused on what we have to be when the season starts or when the real season starts. Yeah, no, you're, you're right. 
And it's why, honestly, I think that there's been a, a real reluctance to criticize them lately. One is because the criticism got so out of control at the very beginning of the season that everybody yep. that talks about them and watches them has this like small reservation now where they go, all right, maybe we just need to chill out. <laughs> it got so yeah. hot and heated and they ended up turning it around. And the story has been one that has been mostly about a lot of successes for this team. Um, I, I guess for me, though, when I look at this and say, yes, there's a human nature component. Um, my friend Sam, he made this point about, hey, Tampa's doing the same thing right now. And I go, yeah, but Tampa's won two cups and they were just in another finals, whereas Toronto's never been out of the first round. So all those things you're saying might be true to me. I guess when do you want to start to see the tightening of the screws? Because there's not very many games left. And, you know, they're giving up. They gave up more shorthanded goals in the last week and a half, I want to say, than they had given up all season long last year. Last game, they just end up turning the puck over multiple times in some pretty sloppy situations, and it's a lot of their stars that were doing it. Just, you know, William yeah. Nylander has sort of fallen the tank. He's been demoted, and Sheldon Keefe has a quote about how he doesn't feel like his feet are moving when he's receiving the puck. What, at what point of the year or regular season, or at all? Like, do you just need to see it in the playoffs? Is it going to matter for you where you go, no, they, they're figuring out the line combinations that they want to go with. They're playing the pairings that they believe in, and the star players and the other players in this team are playing with a little bit more focus and determination heading into this important, yeah, this really, really, really important playoff series. Yeah, I, I listen, everything you just said there has, you know, rhymes a little bit of truth or rhymes a little bit of panic. Okay, it's falling apart or they're not playing their best or what's wrong. I'm, the bottom line is it, it doesn't matter. It's what I go back to there. You could be playing your best hockey right now and blowing the doors off. And when you start April 17th or whatever it begins, everybody's got a zero and your team hasn't won anything yet. And what you're saying about, okay, yeah, Tampa does have – that same kind of feeling and they've got to fill it around a little bit and they've had some terrible games and then they've got it back and come together. But their mind is like, all we got to do is be playing our best and ready at the start. I, I know it's part of the balance of a regular season. That's 82 games. It's, it's damn hard and it's hard to be consistent and great every night. And I think the, the, the big difference is you said that Toronto hasn't won it, that's why you tried to bring in a few guys that have both won in O'Reilly and lost uh, in uh, Nolachari and that because you you got to have more bodies in there. You're you're right. Everybody in the Tampa room is going. Let's just don't worry about how we are now. And I, I was saying last night to our crew, I go, Glenn Sather always used to get over our guys saying, you know, you guys think you can just split the switch and turn it around and be ready to play when you have to and. That's the job of the coach. Keep pressing, uh, pressing at times and keep demanding that you get better and keep focusing on things. But this is that difficult time where the, there's no question that the focus of everyone is, is two, three weeks ahead when the season is over and then the playoffs and then all that matters. And hopefully you've got guys now that once you get into those scenarios – the guys that they added in a little bit of leadership and, and the belief of some guys who have won can get you through that time when, when you've got to come together and play your best. So I've never been one about the overreactions of the ups and downs of a season. Yep. And as I said, the fact that collectively as a team to go this long and only have, you know, they were 0-2-2 and in games four through eight, <laughs> and that's the only time they've gone three games without winning. 
And as I said, you've only gone twice without having a point. Uh, that's a pretty good consistency. And uh, I, I think overreaction is something that I know when you're on the radio or on TV every day, it's, it's what the fans get into and it's, it's the discussion point. But nothing matters and unless, you know, you finish and play the last 10 games perfectly and you bow out in five games in the playoffs that's all that matters. And I think that's where everyone's kind of stuck in in their mode of, of being prepared when the, when the playoffs start. 100%. And I, I really do try to be as measured as possible, even though I am a radio guy doing this daily. Yeah, well, it's, I, can't, I can't blame you, man. It's like it's yeah, every day. Yeah, you know? It's uh, amazing. It is. It is every <laughs> single day. And then, yeah, we do Leafs talk too right after these games. But I, I guess my point of curiosity with this stuff, because you're, you're right. Ultimately, this group is going to be graded come playoff time and they probably it's it's a strange one because as much as they haven't won in the first round they've done this now so many times as a core these players are at the position where I'm sure they do feel pretty confident in the fact that they can elevate their game and match up with Tampa and do this thing and they like they don't care about uh yeah how they perform what is who they play tonight Panthers right the Panthers game tonight is not is not going to materially matter to them they're not going to get up for it in the same way but we always talk about chemistry in this sport and there does they have a head coach who loves tinkering and who loves trying new things and trying to gather information. And so when it comes to the forward group, I actually like I'm not seeing there be like a lack of chemistry thing. In fact, I'm probably more encouraged by stuff with the forwards like Marner yesterday or the last game. I thought he was playing with real bite and energy. And I went good. This is, again, kind of to our point about McDavid is he seems like a yeah. guy who's becoming more comfortable in his skin. Matthews looks healthier and he's playing his, with his size better. And I just, I've enjoyed watching him play. Yarn Kroc has been a bit of a revelation. They've got a good checking line. I like what I'm seeing from the forwards. The D pairings, however, they've got eight guys and they've tried the 11 and seven stuff. And you mentioned it. A lot of it has to do with O'Reilly, but there've been flashes yeah. where I've liked Gustafson. There's been flashes where I've gone, boy, they could really use Shen's physicality. I don't know who TJ Brody is supposed to play with ultimately, because if you have a shutdown pairing with him and McCabe, they feel light in the other spots. What does your overall just feel for the blue line? Because I feel they have more talent there than they've ever had. And yet to me, the pieces, it's just, it's hard to put them together. And I wonder when we start to worry about that part of it heading into the playoffs. Yeah, I I think there's no question. And that, that is why when the injury for O'Reilly came down as much as, you look at the 7D and it can be disruptive. I think they're without question. Everything you just said of looking and saying, boy, I'm not really sure what our D is going to look like yet. So let's, let's try a couple of different things. Let's get the seven guys in. So I don't have to delay and wait every third game to see everybody. Uh, I do I do think it might seem disruptive, but let's face it. Guys, guys are able to play with each other and guys don't overreact that much uh, in terms of, uh, you know, who they play against. But I do think you do want to try to build some natural, um, you know, chemistry between players. I look again to the playoffs time. I, and I want to say this with great respect for Luke Shen and what he's been able to do and, and handle himself as a player and the success he's had. But does your mind not say at some point you might look at that Tampa series and if it gets a little too fast or it gets a little bit too open that you might be saying, you know what, I'm not sure he can play every night at this level. And that's not a disrespect to him. That, that's where he's been at. That's where he was in Tampa when he played with him. He was in and out. He was yep. platooning in. 
And that's a reality. You don't think the coaches would look at that and say, hey, I know Shen gives us an edge that we didn't have, but there's no way if you're doing your job as a head coach that you're anointing him and saying, oh, yeah, he's going to be in every night in the playoffs. I, as an analyst, am looking and saying, chances are probably not. The, 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 you know, the series might swing a certain way. He might not be able to handle Kucherov point, all those guys zipping around. But that's true of a couple of other guys in that position, too. So I do think that's the reality when you don't have, you know, a headman shutdown guy. You don't have a pairing that you can say, okay, if we have that as the anchor, it doesn't really matter about the other. You're right about Brody. I think he's the calming effect in, in for a lot of guys, whether it's Riley or trying to settle someone like a Hall trying to play down. Uh, but I, I do think that's why you see the little bit of tinkering. And let's face it, the, the series will take a heartbeat of its own, and you'll have to look and say, oh, the games are going a little different than I thought. we we got to make that change there. And that's the beauty of how difficult it is to win a Stanley Cup. And a lot will do with your matchups. A lot will do with what the lineup looks for Tampa and how they're playing, any injuries on their line by the time you get there. And I think there will be a time where you probably see seven to maybe eight different defensemen that do play within the series. Yeah, um, I think you're bang on with Shannon. Part of the reason they got him is that, yeah, he's not going to put up any issue by sitting in the press box. It's not going to be a problem. He'll sit there quietly, be very happy about it, and then if they need him in a pinch, he's going to know exactly the role that he has to do. And I made this case with why I felt as though they kind of had to move out Sandine as he was at a inflection point in his career and he would not have been happy sitting in, and looking and watching the Leafs play and saying, what am I still doing here, right? Shen will be willing to do it. I just, boy, I'd really like to feel something work outside of whoever TJ Brody's with heading into the postseason. That is the one to me where I go, yep, I want to see it. I will tell you this, though, Craig. There's a reason why, you know, you've had an extreme amount of success in two different careers. You're the TJ Brody here, but you're the calming presence. You've come in here, you're like, everybody relax, <laughs> all right? Everybody cool. Here's my analytical composure for this. I was telling people in the truck, I'm going, yeah, this guy is basically a Hall of Famer in sports and in broadcasting, and you, you see why. Thanks so much for making time today, man. I appreciate it. Uh, all right. Thanks for having me on. Take, Take care. care. There's Craig Simpson, Hockey Night Canada, Stanley Cup champion. Again, uh, Hall of Fame broadcaster. No question about it. I think, again, the stat I love with Craig is I'm pretty sure he's done more national broadcast than anybody else in the country at this point. Pretty sure that's the stat. Go look it up. I know he has the highest shooting percentage in NHL history. Guy was a finisher, two cups. But pretty sure he has been on more national television broadcasts than anybody else. When it comes, it might just be sports. Either way been around for a while. He's been dominating. He's really great in the field, and I thought that was pretty insightful. Of course, things are not going to be important a couple of weeks from now from these games down the stretch. We all want to see the Leafs get to playoffs, and maybe even some of my analysis of this team at times is getting a little too, oh, man, we're close, we're close, we're close. I want to see you look good. But I'll maintain this. I still think two things are really important for the Leafs. One is that they figure out what their deep pairings are and that they actually have a real confidence within the group of who is going to be starting game one. Mm -hmm. Of course, they're going to be able to make adjustments, but I want them to feel like they know what it's going to look like game one soon. There's 12 games left in the regular season. Babcock used to do it in segments of five. I kind of have always kept that as, 
one of the legacies of Babcock is like break the season down into five game chunks. Mm-hmm. That's why I think it's interesting that the last 10, they're five and five and that they've had a bit of a, a slip. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I can recognize the statistics of this team and the analytics showing a group that has taken a big step back since the trade deadline while simultaneously feeling as though this team is much better suited come playoff time. I really do think that some of the questions that we have right now, like the blue line pairings are very counteracted by Matthews coming out and publicly stating how much better he feels. And even just watching him play, having that meet the eye test of a guy who is playing with more confidence and just looks better. How Mm -hmm. much better I feel about Mitch Marner right now and the player that he is and hopefully his mental state come playoff games and his ability to maintain who he is as a player versus years past where he's probably not been as mature. I do think Mitch Marner has matured a lot this year. We mm-hmm. haven't discussed it a whole ton, but to me, it's it's not just who he is as a player. He just seems more a guy, again, like McDavid, who year, this year in his career feels like he's taken a step as a man too. Yeah. It's the confidence. He's These guys are growing up. They're not the same guys, and it usually is hard when you meet someone and they're very young to ever turn them into like a actual adult, and that is what you're seeing with these guys. So I'm more excited about their ownership of this team. I'm actually not overly concerned about the goaltending because there was never going to be anything this season that was going to put the Leafs in a better spot where they were going to have a goalie that was likely to outplay Andre Vasilevsky in yeah. a postseason series, a guy who we have genuinely had conversations about surpassing Dominic Hasek as the greatest goaltender of all time. And yes, Dom Hasek is the greatest goaltender of all time. It's nobody else. And if Mm. that's your opinion, you're dead wrong. It's just, (laughs) you're just wrong. And it's cool. I get that there are Patrick Waugh fans out there and there are Martin Brodeur fans out there and uh, it's fine, but you're wrong. And it just, it is what it is. Yeah. Um, Do you think Vasilevsky ever has a realistic chance to pass Hasek? Yeah, of course. No, of course. If Mm -hmm. he continues on the trajectory that he's on, he wins another cup. He wins another Conn Smythe. It mm-hmm. just, it's, he's going to start, his numbers are insane. And he's not looking his like a guy that's going to be, numbers are. he's not going to be a guy that looks like he's going to be declining anytime soon. Anyway, yeah. I want to see the blue line start to figure itself out. Yeah. And I do care about this team hitting the final 10 games and not, they don't need to dominate. They don't need to absolutely push themselves into an uncomfortable area. I get the human nature element of it, but I also kind of under, I, I want to see no horrifically stupid turnovers. Yeah. I want to see less shorthanded goals. I want to feel more confident about this team that, hey, maybe your advantage over Tampa Bay is that you are treating some of these as tune-ups rather than games where you're going to just kind of say, whatever, who cares? We're, we're already locked in. Yeah, just also, don't coast through the last time. No, and, and also I know the home ice advantage thing didn't work out for them last year, but and this is something I'll talk about with Myrtle tomorrow is get a little bit more in-depth into about their home ice record. They have the best record on home ice, and part of this is just being a good team. Mm-hmm. Uh, over the last calendar year. I'm pretty sure Tampa Bay is second. So to me, in a series where you're looking for a 1% edge, right? And that's why you do these trades. I would say that having home ice would matter to me. So making sure you get these points and tightening up, that that's also a key element of this too. Anyways, I'll do that more with James tomorrow. Um, let's take a quick break. Let's come back, hit what we missed. But also, I want to talk a little bit about how wild this Raptors finish looks like it's going to be another team that, yeah, less than, I think they have nine games left, maybe 10 Leafs 12. I think Raptors nine or 10, either way, this last nine or 10 games, it's, it's insane where the Raptors could end up finishing next.
Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Yeah, nine more Raptors games. Can't say I'm devastated by that stat. I can't say that I'm... I once, a couple of years ago, I said I was so sad the Raptors season was over because it was my favorite show on television. Uh, yeah, not the case. <laughs> what are the ratings like this year for Bad. you? Bad. <laughs> this is a tough season. Uh, no, I really have not loved watching the Toronto Raptors this year. There have been some, there's been some moments. moments. They've been better as of late to watch because Van Vliet has been awesome. OG struggled last night, but outside of yesterday, he's been dynamite. Mm -hmm. I mentioned his stats over his last 10 going into yesterday. He was shooting over 50% from three. He showcased a little bit more of that mid range game and the confidence in just elevating over smaller players. Defensively, he's been incredible. Even had in a game where the Raptors were bad defensively, just he'll have the odd moment in a game defensively where you go, nobody else is doing this. Mm-hmm. Just he's the there's nobody else that matches this length, quickness, and strength of this player. He is shooting fifty six percent from the field the yeah, last ten games. I'll, I'll be really sad if the Raptors trade him uh this offseason, just in the sense of I don't I'll be happy. It'll be one of those Harry and the Henderson thing. I always reference as like the get out of here, uh, <laughs> where he leaves and you go, Go be free and go be safe. But I wish I understood the reference. Yeah, you don't. I don't think he's, you know the movie. <laughs> Harry the Hendersons? No, you're too young. I've heard of it. I, I no, you haven't heard it. of it. It's okay. Oh, you, I have. you know who John Lithgow is? No. Yeah, exactly. Oh, gee. I apologize. It's okay. So many people listening just cringed. Ah, it's fine. You're a baby. I, you're a little I, baby. I, I am. So if they tried him, it's going to suck not watching him. Yeah. It's also their best path to improvement or resetting or pivoting because, again, they, they can't just do this again. I, I don't think they can, anyways. It's my opinion that. It's why even post-deadline them being better and their guys looking good individually still and having their moments where I just say they still made a mistake not doing this. Uh, Fred's been way better. He wasn't worth trading for a small package, mm-hmm. but they should have found a way then to move him earlier. They, th- this is, th- it's still your job to figure out a good way forward, and there's a ton of pressure on this group this offseason. Anyways, my point here is simply they're not. this isn't going to happen to them. They're not going to finish with either of these extremes, I would imagine. But the NBA standings are so tight that it is very, very, very possible that the Raptors could finish 13th in the NBA in terms of total overall record mm-hmm. or 23rd. That's the bracket that they're in. It's a pretty big swing. Huge. <laughs> That's with ultimate nine, mid. <laughs> with nine games remaining? Yeah. Because normally you look at this, like even if they're three games back of a team, which they are, I believe, of the Heat still right now as of today. Uh, yep. Yeah. And they have a game against the Heat. They do have a game against the Heat. That's the potential play-in matchup. And even with that, I'm not counting them leapfrogging the Heat. They're four and a half games back now of the Heat. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Because of last night's loss, right? Yes. And they're one game back of Atlanta. Yeah. They could finish 13th. They could finish 23rd. They're basically going to be in the worst position possible when it comes to, yeah, what their draft pick is going to be. <laughs> um. God, it would really suck if they somehow found their way outside of the lottery after all of this. Yeah. Be honest. Uh, I know it's the draft is not as imposing as it once was. Mm-hmm. And there's definitely a lot more question marks once it gets out of the top three than I think there were supposed to be heading into this year in terms of it looked like a very, very deep four through 10. And that has since changed a little bit, which is, I think, part of the reason why the Raptors changed some of the math. Even still, um, to me... Moving back these draft picks and moving down these slots, I just want to remind everybody how impactful they can be because a a lot of people will tell you they will diminish the importance of this, right? Where they'll go, 
good. No, the Raptors should finish 13th and they should win a play a play in series and they should get smoked by the Bucks. Or even if they put up a good fight against the Bucks, mm-hmm. they'll get more information, blah, blah, blah. I, I don't know. I'm just not there. I'd rather they finish still closer to 23rd and have more of a chance with the lottery balls. And I say this because last night was another reminder of how much trading back and moving back in a draft can hurt you. Yeah. We made the point all year long about how incredible Walker Kessler would have been for this team. Had they hit on Walker Kessler, their entire season is completely different. They have a data set with a center all year long. They end up drafting one of the league's best young big men, maybe uh, in some regards, considering the fact that he's a rookie, that maybe you could even make the case that he's the game's best young big man. Yeah. The future on a rookie, on a rookie contract, if had they taken him, and there's a pretty decent shot that they do take him because of the positional need that they had and the fact that they took Christian Coloco mm-hmm. much later. They traded that young. They viewed it as this is no big deal. Boy, it really bit them in the ass. But then you go, okay, JD, that's only one guy, and who knows? They wouldn't have taken that one guy. Well, you know what else? Where else they had a need, a really big need, backup point guard. Mm-hmm. They have not had a backup point guard now for years. They tried to make it Malachi Flynn, but it really didn't work out. And guess who last night was spectacular and just so happened to go a couple picks before Christian Coloco. Andrew Nemhard. Correct. Canadian kid, composed player, kind of an ideal backup point guard in the NBA. <laughs> Somebody 25 with, and 10 last night. Yeah. So it just, it stung yesterday and it stung being reminded that that Thad Young trade was so much worse than people thought it was going to be. <laughs> and that so many people presented it to and like shame on all of you that put it out there like it's just a trade back. They're just trading back a couple of spots. No big deal. Okay, yeah, well, it was a, actually a pretty damn big deal considering mm-hmm. that they got a player who has helped them essentially in no way unless you try to put it into the intangibles category of, oh, he's been uh, a mentor to Scotty Barnes. Yeah, okay, great. Sign one of those guys off the street. And actually, they probably could have signed Dad Young um, to a mid-level exception, which they instead gave to Otto Porter, and they extended Thad Young to even more money which is going to be part of the reason next year they might have to go into the luxury tax on a team that is somewhere between 13th and 23rd. <laughs> a play-in team. Yeah, somewhere between 13 and 23rd. And now, next year, they will also won't have a first-round pick because they had to not take Walker Kessler in the draft, and they drafted Christian Coloco, and it was very, very clear that they did not have the type of talent down the middle mm-hmm. to support this group. So they traded a first for Jakob Pertl. Just the trade tree the domino of that thad young trade back it's very confusing to look at it's just i can't remember a draft pick trade of this small of a magnitude late in rounds because yes this happens when it's at the top of the draft in the lottery when teams shuffle around like famously the sacramento kings had one where they traded up ahead of the Mm -hmm. golden state warriors and took jimmer for debt instead of taking clay thompson you go (laughs) boy that was a tough one that's a bad look yeah but i can't remember one in recent history where a team traded back at the back end of the draft and missed out on a couple of pieces that created a domino effect where they had to trade their first round pick the following year and ended up hurting them where their record gets inflated now going down the stretch run. So it's closer that they could finish 13 hurting their lottery pick this year, but also hurting their long-term franchise. They're having to pay Jakob Pertl probably $70 million next year. There's just so many weird dominoes off the Thad Young trade. It's a very confusing team to look at. And, and that Andrew Nemhard having him do the, what was it, 23 and 10 last night? 25 points, 10 assists. Yeah. Yeah. It only added for me to that frustration. Mm-hmm. An uh, efficient 25, too. Boy, oh boy. Awful one to watch. Yeah. <laughs> they were without Tyrese Halliburton. They actually played well, and then they just lost sure. it down the stretch. After last <laughs> night just went full into we are not here to play mode. 
They had good performances from Pascal and Fred, and yeah. he's been dominant lately. But outside of that, woof, tough one anyways. Um, we'll keep it moving. What else did we miss? Austin, do you have audio of this Giselle thing? No, no, it, no, it was no, her talking to Vanity Fair. Oh, okay. It's a quote. All right. Yeah, it's a quote from, uh, yeah, so Vanity Fair, like I mentioned, Giselle Bunchen talking about the, the split with Tom Brady, and she yeah. mentioned that it had nothing to do with football, and she yeah. said, it's a team sport and you can't play alone. I think he did great under the circumstances. I mean, he had no offensive line. So oh. putting the Buccaneers under the bus a little bit. I misread this quote when Austin sent it to me in terms of the way he interpreted it. The way I thought Austin was saying it to me is, uh, his divorce had, or their divorce had nothing to do with football and his struggles last year had nothing to do with the divorce in yeah. the sense of her. I thought she was shooting a shot at him being like, he just is old and sucks. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> that no. would have been way better. The, the other... I, I'm so, <laughs> this is just a different version of my husband can't throw the ball and catch the ball too. Well, yeah, she still loves him. There's still hope for those two. Well, she just said, sometimes you grow together. Sometimes you grow together. Sometimes you grow apart. That's like the like the extent yeah, okay. of what the uh, that's like that's the split fun. was. Hey, it's <laughs> it's really smart of her not to actually make their divorce more public than it is because mm-hmm. they have kids. Yeah, and as much as we look at the stuff and we talk about these things through them being celebrity, and mm-hmm. I've made jokes about Tom Brady and uh, Giselle before. Yeah, it must it must be horrific for children. I, I'm a child of divorce. It mm-hmm. sucked so bad watching my parents go through it. Um, I can only imagine how difficult it's been on those kids as well. And even though they've got all the things and blah, 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 and people go, well, my parents' divorce was probably not much worse than Tom Brady and Giselle's. Like, think their kids are going to be fine. Yeah, yeah, still sucks. And having it be public and everybody in the world know a lot of the details of it, horrific. And be talking about it and coinciding with Tom Brady's struggles, all that different stuff. But um, that's basically the line that you say. There's two lines with parents of divorce. They go, we still love you all the same. It's not your fault to the kids. And some people grow apart. Some, some people grow together. together. Sometimes <laughs> they grow apart. The same things. I'm a little, from a fun standpoint, though, it got very real where she goes, hey, uh, it wasn't it wasn't the thing I thought Austin meant, which is her being like, he just sucks because he's old. But well, she basically said his team sucks. Saying he has no offensive line. Yeah. Maybe there's still a little love there. She's still sticking up for Tom. You, lo- you She's going to bat for him. Yeah. You love to see it. Yeah. You love to see it. What's next? Uh, so Shake Shack announced that there will be opening in Canada. Yeah. Um, it's not going to be until 2024. Uh, there's guys, no word on where the location is yet. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it was big news yesterday. They announced that they're opening, and they're planning to open 35 locations in Canada in the next 10 okay. years. So, all right. Um, you a Shake Shack fan? Well, no, because it's not here. I think You've I've, never had it? I've had it once. It's fine. Be, okay. I had it in uh, Tokyo. It's not that good. That's a weird place to have it. Yeah, I didn't get a burger. It was a poor choice. Yeah. No, so Tokyo is not where I was expecting it. But go how with long that. were you there for? Two weeks. Okay, that's fair. I was going to say, if you're in Tokyo for three days and you ate Shake Shack, that's a disgrace. <laughs> yeah, that's. If you're be... there for two weeks, you can mix in one meal like that. That's fine, mm-hmm. especially if it's something that you hadn't had before. Okay, um, a few thoughts off of this that I didn't think that I was going to have because <laughs> I didn't think that Jobo was going to pick this and the what we missed. Number one is that. I think we get way too excited about fast food coming up here. Fast food. That's what is, I was about to ask. Like, do you, you guys inflate are, it? No, you guys on this show are obsessed with talking about fast food. And, Buddy, it's all we got. Yeah. yeah I don't know what it is with Only you guys, happiness. But fast food is all pretty much the same to me. It's a guilty pleasure once in a while. You absolutely should not indulge in it. And yeah, it's nice to have as a treat, but... 
I, I got to tell you, even when Chick-fil-A came here, I was freaking out about Chick-fil-A. Oh, my God, the chicken sandwiches. Yeah, they're good. I like them. The mm-hmm. waffle fries, I actually think, are the best part about Chick-fil-A, more so even than the sandwiches in terms of the drop-off between other places where the fries go. I get the hankering for the fries more than the sandwiches. Mm-hmm. But I, I can't imagine these people that line up for this stuff or that feel so strongly when we have these chicken sandwich debates, like which one is better. I go, I think it's emotional. there are restaurants I'll just go to where you f- or sandwich places I'll go to, bars I've gone to that have mm-hmm. had chicken sandwiches better than Chick-fil-A. Yeah. Shout out to my, I don't know, actually, no, I don't want anybody going to my local, so never mind. <laughs> I was almost about to shout out my local that does a great chicken sandwich, and I was like, nah, keep it Was that the place me. that we went? Because I will also not say it. Correct. Okay, I'm not saying anything. Yeah, Omerta. It's not even that secret of a spot, but it's just, <laughs> I don't, I don't need. You just gatekept it for no reason. from you. Great use of the word Omerta. Yeah, I just, there's no, there's no, yeah. He had the accent down. He's good there's at no, accents. There's though. no way. Um, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Finally. Uh, uh, th- none of my ex-girlfriends agree with that statement. <laughs> Every ex-girlfriend ever had things I suck at uh, accents. Well, you have a pretty good GSP. Yeah, I, I, I got a that. lot of good ones, all right? Listen, yeah. someday I'll go through them. Anyways, I don't care about Shake Shack whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, I'll have it eventually someday because I'll give it a shot and go, right, I think I had it for the first time years ago. And it was, yeah, pretty unmemorable experience because it's fast food and whatever. But two off of this is we just as Canadians have a weird obsession. Like you guys wrote this in here. in and out is that going to come in and out? I was actually about to bring that up because I think that's like the staple that people want to come to Canada, but I don't, I feel like you can get better stuff here. Just, that's no shade to no. In-N-Out, but it's, no, it's, it's like In-N-Out is actually really good. I will it say. It is romanticized a little bit. No, it, but all of this is, that's what I'm saying. Anything yeah. that is in America that is not in Canada and comes up here, people freak out about, mm-hmm. we, we are just the worst for this stuff. Yeah. Anyways, let's keep it moving. So the, the world's happiest countries list came out. Forbes, mm-hmm. Canada came in at, Number 13 in the top 20, uh, USA was at 15, and Finland was at number one. Um, yeah. As a lifelong Canadian, is there anything you can think of that would boost Canada up the <laughs> rankings? Yeah, buddy. <laughs> We're skipping this question because this is... You trying to get me like, fired, Joe? Joe? To get, yeah, Joe, no, I'm not saying here, it like that. I'm saying Joe. it in like a joking way. Just no, say no. I've been a little down on Canada lately. I'm not moving them up the, pa- uh, the power rankings these past couple of years. You're not right? moving them up at no. all? No. I'm not. In the summer, Canada, best country in the world to live in. In the winter, not so much. Uh, yeah, sure. Best it's a country in the world to live in. No, no. Anyway, um... Sure. Uh, for a guy that's been to other countries, Austin, that's a bold position for you to take. No, I love it here. It's the best. Uh, okay, in the summer, it, not in the winter. Keep it moving. What, uh, <laughs> what was this thing about Blockbuster that you guys wrote? Because so, that's that Blockbuster, their, it. Yeah, their, their website updated and just said, like, we are rewinding your movie for you, which implies that they're making a comeback. It was a big story. Um, obviously, they're not really a thing anymore. I never really got to experience Blockbuster, but oh, shame. It was the apparently best. it's making the comeback. Going, here's the thing. Going to a Blockbuster as a kid and walking around that store, getting to pick out a movie with your buddies, mm-hmm. then going to the front, grabbing a soda and yeah. a bag of fuzzy peaches and some popcorn... Nothing beat that. I know. I was, that I was is, too young when for When they used it. to uh, let you rent the M-rated games and they wouldn't check uh, your ID. It was just the absolute <laughs> best. Yes, man. Yes. Uh, God. I w- like, maybe it could work. I just don't see it. I don't you know don't how you could it. You think streaming services are going to yeah, completely just, it's dominate so, it's it? It's so easy. It's so easy. We don't go to the movie theater. Why would we be going to Blockbuster? It doesn't make any sense. Anyways, I do love Blockbuster, though. And mm. Roger's video. It was even better. I actually had a Roger's video. Shout really out good. Roger's Shout video. Shout out Roger's video. It was amazing. It was the best. <laughs> Anyways, uh, we got to run. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to the podcast. Leave five stars. Share it. Do all those things. We'll see you tomorrow. Are you fresh?